today. God often, yeah. everybody, I don't know, I think every once in a while, the people on teaching staff, I guess for lack of a better term, um, that come up here talk about how God prepares them for their their talks, their what, what we do up here, our teaching, our preaching, or whatever you want to call it. And usually God is right at the end for me. Especially in the last four. Everything, like from 4 to 6 a.m. the morning of. Like, well, I've got a rough outline, and then he just, like, fills everything in. And most of the time, that's how it works for me. And I know everybody up here is different. But this is, this was given to me in advance. I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks. And God still filled in a lot of the gaps here in the last couple days. But it's just, it's not often that he does that. So... Um, I, I am a little nervous today, not because I'm scared to be up here or scared to tell you something. I just want it, I want so desperately to say it right because it carries a lot of weight. And I think, um, I don't think, I know that somebody's going to be set free from this today. So, um, you know, before we get into it, I want to tell you kind of a story. Back when I was when I got my first real job, everybody say real job. You remember your first real job? Back when I got my first real job where I was making more than like, you know, at that time, I don't, what is minimum wage now? It's got to be like $87 an hour or something. Way more than what it used to be. But back when minimum wage was low enough that you couldn't afford to fill your car with gas. Uh, but when I got my first real job, so after I kind of like made that jump to my, I would call my first adult job, um, I was working for a hospital system delivering medical equipment, and I, they had this rule where it was three strikes and you're out. Okay, so I was part of a union, and part of that union contract was three strikes and you're out. If you get in three, because I'm driving stuff around, remember, three accidents, speeding tickets, any kind of moving violation, right? It's not, we're not talking about parking tickets, but anytime that you truly have like really broken a law um, or, or, or cost the company money by, you know, like running into a traffic light or something, it's, you're out. After three strikes, you're done. So I had a rough year, one year. I think it was my second year with the company. The first year was totally fine. The um, the second year, I started off in winter. It was really, I was filling in up where I work now, up in Cambridge at a different branch. Um, and I was driving this huge diesel-powered liftgate truck, which is way bigger than like our little delivery cube vans that I was used to driving. And I pulled into this guy's driveway, and I it was, it was like it is now. It was sheer ice, and it was downhill. So I pulled in, and then I just kept going and going and going and going until boom, I hit his dumpster. This guy had an actual dumpster. And it just, I mean, it was like a movie. It like flew through the air. And that was um, part of being in the union. It's reviewed by your peers when something happens where you're getting a strike, quote unquote. It's reviewed by the group that reviews that sort of thing, other people in your union, and they reviewed that and said that it was my fault. I disagreed with that, of course, but I could have gone slower, I guess. The second strike in this rough year 
was um, I was driving through a really tight, I was like, in, I think I was in like Brooklyn Park or Brooklyn Center, something like that. A little more dense, a little more populous. And I was driving down the street by these apartment buildings and I have this bigger vehicle, you know, and I'm kind of squeezing in between all these cars and I don't pay attention. I'm looking on my left to make sure I don't hit this vehicle on my left and I just absolutely destroy a vehicle on my right. I mean, I just, I mean, I like mangle the whole side of it. And my tr the tr work truck, of course, looks totally fine, but it's just like rear door, front door, front fender, the, m the mirror's gone. Like it was just, it was not good. And I'm like, oh, and I kind of get out and I'm like, oh man, like what am I gonna do now? Like, this is my second deal here. I gotta fill out an accident report. I just had never done anything like that. And then this lady walks out and, she, and I was like, is this your car? And she's like, yeah, I, I parked it there. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I just totally like annihilated the side of your car with my work truck. It was a total act. I'm so sorry. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's my boyfriend's car. I'm mad at him anyway. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, well, but I still got to fill out this form. Like, let's exchange information. So we exchanged information. So she wasn't upset, which was kind of nice. But now I had two strikes. I'll never forget that. She's like, oh, I I'm mad at my boyfriend anyway. Oh, okay. Um, cool. But then it was really late at night. This was still in that same year. And I was driving way too fast. I remember specifically when the officer pulled me over, I was going 77 in a 55. I wanted to go home. I wanted to be home. It was like 1140 at night. I was just done. And I was going way too fast. And I get pulled over. I see the lights. He was kind to me because I had a commercial license at the time, so he knocked it down to like 10 or 9 miles an hour over, you know, something like that where basically he didn't, like, they didn't pull my commercial license, like, instantly, like that day. Um, but I went, but that would have been my third strike. So I talked to my boss. I was like, look, man, I got, I got cited this ticket last night while I was working. I'm going to go to court and see if they'll do a 12-month dismissal on it because I had gotten one speeding ticket in the past and they'd done that for me. You pay for it, but it doesn't stay on your record. So I go to court and of course, because the judge has more important things to deal with, they do this 12-month dismissal. You know, there's like some, I don't know what they actually are called. I'm gonna be talking about a lot of legal stuff today that I don't know, really know anything about. Um, but this guy, this like, the judge's lackey is like, hey, you know, like we see that you don't have like, a lot of criminal history. We really just kind of want to like let this go. It'll just be a 12 month dismissal. You just pay the court fee today, which is like 60 bucks or something. And then if you don't do it, if you don't get any moving violations for a year, it just goes away. It's gone. So with that in mind, I would like to pray and get started. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us today to see the word that is set before us, not just in first service, but in second service, in worship, and in just everything you're doing around us already. God, I ask that you would help me to be a good steward of the word that you've given me for your people. Help us to see you and help us to be changed by that word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I love saying that. It just feels like wooden pews to me. Everybody said, and you guys just know what to do. It's fantastic. I love it. I'm really thankful to be up here today. 
I'm grateful to be up here today. I'm excited about what I have to say to you, what God has given to me to say to you. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And this is pretty rare for me. I don't actually usually speak topically, but I want to speak to you about a topic that I think is pretty pervasive in our lives, and it doesn't really fit. I, I want to pull from more than one source. Usually I preach what I would call or teach linearly. I like to take a large chunk and break it down. But what God has given to me today is from multiple locations because I want to prove to you with a body of evidence that what I'm going to tell you is true. I don't want to spoil it before we even get there. Okay, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My dear children, I am writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. He pleads our case. Everybody say pleads. He pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Everybody say, he is my advocate. It's weird to have an advocate. It's really cool. Raise your hand if you've ever had anybody advocate for you. It doesn't have to be a legal advocate, but just anyone in general. Some of us have had legal advocates. But we always, like, when you have an experience where something is happening to you, especially something unjust, and this is a word for somebody because I have no notes on this. I have, like, way too many notes today. But when something unjust is happening to us, it's, it's, a, it's, this, it's such a relieving feeling when someone steps in and advocates for you. That's not true. I know him. I know her. That's not in their character. That's not true. This is what I know of them. We'll move along. I don't want to, I'm like way too excited. All right. First John 2, 1. He is my advocate. Everybody say advocate. An advocate here, raise your hand if you've ever heard the word paraclete. That's like a, it's like a, word that we talk about, it's basically the Holy Spirit, but it means an advocate. If you see advocate in your Bible, oftentimes it's that word paraclete is talking about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, I'm going to send an advocate, if I don't leave, then the advocate can't come. The helper can't come. He's going to come and advocate for you. He's going to guide you into all truth, it says. It says he will testify to the truth about me. So when we're talking about the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit. In this case, it's talking about Jesus. Which is interesting because he's advocating for us. Because in this letter, John writes, hey, I, I don't want you to sin. But when it happens, right, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you these instructions to make sure that you don't mess up. I don't want you to go 77 in a 55. Right? That's a mistake. Sorry for looking at you, Randy. It's not a personal attack. It was just like we can relate over this. I don't want that to happen, but when it does, when you make a mistake, we have an advocate. You have someone who's willing to stand in the gap and say, no, no, no. You don't get to talk to my client that way. 
You have an advocate. That word advocate speaks to, this one is, I'm going to butcher it. I think it's parakletos is how it really is pronounced. But it's like legal defense, like a lawyer. One who pleads the case of someone else. Because there's a difference when you're pleading for yourself. Like, we, um, I got to grab a Kleenex, sorry. It's a different when someone's pleading for themselves versus when they're pleading for someone. It's almost like it carries more weight. Like just intrinsically, like just the way that we feel. Like if somebody accuses you of something and you're talking about yourself, it's like it doesn't carry as much weight as if someone else had been saying the exact same thing. Does that make sense? Like it's just the way that we're wired. If, if it's like, well, in the Old Testament it says two or three witnesses, right? Like if, if, if multiple witnesses are saying the same thing, it's going to be true. It's like it's almost wired into us to, to not just believe the person who's trying to plead their own case. Because you'll do anything. People will do anything to get out of it. They'll lie. They'll do whatever they have to. But if somebody's willing to stake their reputation and say, no, 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 that's not true. This is what I know about him or her. I don't think that they would do that. I don't think they would be there. That word advocate speaks to an intercessor before a judge. And then a common one in your Bible version might even have, especially when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, it might say helper. That word advocate, it's a little bit different here because it's parakletos instead of paraclete. But it's helper, a helper. It's, that's like what these, the, the word, the original word is painting a picture of somebody who's a helper interceding before a judge, somebody who's willing to intervene. He is my advocate. And now I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump a couple times. I'm going to jump four times to be precise. First Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Everybody say, he is my advocate. He is my advocate. I'm so glad that he's my advocate. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator. Everybody say one. There is one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. He is my advocate. He is my mediator. That word mediator, in the original language, it speaks to intervenes, reconciles. One who intervenes to make or restore peace. Some of you have never had peace. Not even inside yourself, not to mention with God. Some of you have had peace, and it's been broken and shattered by life and mistakes and sin and weight. When the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, I cast aside every weight. Just get, get rid of all the weight and the sin. There's a difference. He doesn't just, life can bring you down with weight and sin. 
Because sometimes things are not sin, but they're just heavy. It just weighs you down, and it can take your peace. You can, you can allow it to take your peace. But that word mediator speaks to intervention, reconciliation. In the King James, the King James Version, I, I really like the way it words it. It says, there's one mediator to be testified in due time. Right? When it says in verse 6 there, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I like the King James where it says to be testified at just the right, like when it's just right. Not when it's wrong, not when it's like mostly right, not when it's like you're not ready yet, at the the exact right moment. He is my advocate. He is my mediator. Something interesting about mediators is to really be a mediator, and this is actually in the concordance, in the Strong's Concordance, which is a, a resource that people who come up here and use microphones look into to find out what the word really means, not just what it got translated to in English. But that word that we would use mediator for, it's, it does translate to mediator, but it specifically says a mediator that belongs to both parties. Because a mediator can't just, like, I can't mediate for myself. Right? If there's, a, if there's a problem between Katie and I, I can't just mediate my own point. Does that make sense? Men of this church, you don't raise your hand <laughs> if you've done that before. Right? Tried to mediate for yourself? How'd that work for you? Not well. You can't mediate for yourself. It has to be a third party, but that belongs to both. That can see the interests of both. Does that make sense? And everything is going G-R-E-A-T at my house. So don't be thinking, just because I use Katie as an example, she's fine, like French wine. <laughs> From a premium grapevine. I'm just working. I'm just working on my afternoon plans, ladies and gentlemen of the church. Can I get an amen? But a mediator has to belong to both parties, not just one. You can't just serve the interests of one. So Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. That's what he's talking about in Timothy of this. He's mediating both sides. He's seeing to God's interests and he's seeing to yours. Your interests matter to him. Those shortcomings that you have, they matter to him. He's mediating for those. He's advocating for you. When your mistakes are brought up in the quote-unquote courtroom of heaven, he's advocating for you. He's mediating for you. No, no, no. That one's taken care of. And that one 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 and that one. There is no history of wrong. He doesn't have a record. She doesn't have a record. It's blank. He mediates for you. He stands in the gap where you fall short. He mediates for you. He is my advocate. He is my mediator. Now we're going to jump for the third time to Hebrews chapter 4. Starting at verse 14. I know Elena will have it on the screen, but I'll give you a second because I am getting parched. Probably because I was talking about Katie up here. I have a funny story for you. Katie and I's first date, when neither of us were saved, 
she and I, 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 I pl- like, your boy planned an elaborate date. There was, like, parts. There was stages. There was levels of the date. It progressed, okay? So we went to dinner, and then we went to um, uh, the science museum to see, oddly enough, even though we weren't, I mean, we're kind of believers, but not really, to see the Dead Sea Scrolls. So that was pretty cool. And then we went to see a movie. So at the end of all this, right, this big elaborate date, it was like s- several hours long. We get to her driveway in Hudson, Wisconsin, and I'm going to kiss her, right? Because your boy is smooth, too. <laughs> and she's holding a pop can because I packed some beverages and some snacks. So that's how I roll because I planned on the drive-in movie theater, but it was full. So we had to go to a real movie theater. Anyway, so she's holding a pop can like this, and I lean in. It's like the notebook practically, right? It's like beautiful, picturesque moment, nice moonlit night, no mosquitoes, warm. I lean in, and she goes. (laughs) And because I'm so smooth, I was like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm parched. (laughs) Uh, So whenever I hear the word parched, I think of that. I'm parched. Okay. That didn't go the way I planned it at all. My word. Hebrews chapter 4, back on the Bible, verse 14. Sorry, I'm lost. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. My thankfulness alarm is going off. I have three of them every day now. Ten, two, and four. Think about it. It's good for you. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands Everybody say understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That. He is my advocate. He is my mediator. Remember when I said that that mediator has to belong to both parties? Jesus belongs to your party. He knows. That's what this says. He understands your plight. He knows what it's like to be sexually tempted. It's not theory to him. He lived a full life in a human body. He knows what suffering is like, what sadness is like, what heartbreak is like. He knows what it's like to be angry. And not just righteous anger from like being the God of the universe and not being able to tolerate sin, but he knows what it's like to want to get angry about a situation. He knows what it's like to be bullied when you're a kid. You know what I mean? Like he understands everything. It's not theory to him. He's not aloof. He's not removed. He placed himself down here with us, God with us, Emmanuel. 
so that he could understand exactly the way that you feel and all the struggles that you have. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So there's the difference. There's the gap. That's the one that he mediates from. That's how he serves both parties. That's how he's able to to represent God to us and to represent us to God. Does that make sense? Okay. He understands. He is my advocate. He is my mediator. I don't know if this is a word or not, but he is my understander. He gets you. He gets me. He knows what it's like. He belongs to both parties. It's interesting, too. I love that Randy came up with the, I don't know if this was your thing or somebody else's thing, but one time up here he said, I'm not a word nerd. So it seems like ever since then God has made me into a word nerd, and I really like that. I just like saying it because it rhymes mostly. But when you break down what it means, the, the section of this, it's a phrase, so it's not just one word. But when it says understands, I believe the way you say it is it's a deponent verb, which is, oddly enough, it's like a, well, let me read my notes. I'm not that smart. A deponent verb is passive or middle, like this one that we're talking about specifically. It's passive or middle intense, but it's got an active meaning. So that's a complicated way of saying that Jesus is actively understanding you. Like it's not something, it's not like he just checked the box once. I guess that's the best way that I can say it. It's like, oh, I I totally get Paul Weisbrod. Like I know what he struggles with. I know what he's good at. Like we're just, we're done here. We're just going to move along. No, he actively, it's ongoing. It keeps going. He keeps He keeps advocating. He keeps mediating. He keeps understanding. It doesn't just end at any one point where it's like, okay, my work with you is finished, and now I just expect you to be a well-behaved, perfect Christian for the rest of your life. Right? That's not the expectation. It's a a relationship. It's ongoing. It it grows. His understanding of you is, is perfect and ongoing. It doesn't just happen once. It's like, not like you kneel at the cross one time and then it's like now you just have to read a lot of self-help books. I think I said health, health. Self-help books. Self-help books. Anyway. He understands. Actively. All right. Our last jump. I'm getting close to the end of my talk. Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, everybody say accuser. 
For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. You know, that accuser there, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of yanking this out of something that's way bigger than a 40-minute lesson on a Sunday morning. But that word accuser there, he, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. And I think what I want you to know today, right, if you don't remember anything except for the part story and this, like, you've gotten it. Satan is the accuser, not God. Satan is the accuser, not God. Oftentimes, we, because we're people, we're human beings, because we are people that interact with other people, we often apply attributes of people to God when his ways are much higher than our ways, they're completely different. He's nothing like us. We're like a reflection in a pool of him. Does that make sense? We are created in his image, but we live in a fallen world where sin has entered and messed all of us up. And because of that, like, people can't wait to accuse you of something. People can't wait. Culture, cancel culture would not exist if people didn't feel this way. If people just couldn't wait to bring someone down. That's why cancel culture is a thing. Because we can't wait to drag up something from someone's past, and no matter how much good they've done, we're going to tear their life down and ruin everything and cancel them. Does that make sense? People can't wait to do this. And it's not, not, even, just, not even just evil people, ill-intentioned people, right? Like this happens in families. This happens in, in relationships. This happens at work. This happens all the time. People just can't wait for someone else to screw up. It's just, it's, it's part of human nature, fallen human nature. It's part of the system and the makeup of this world. People can't wait for someone else to make a mistake so that they can call it out, so it can make them look better, or so that it can make someone else look worse. Or just because it's interesting to talk about. That's why bad news is the best news, right? That's why we all like to watch these horror stories on, the, on, on news. And it glues us in because we can't wait to hear about something bad. We can't wait to hear about somebody, how somebody fell, how somebody tripped, how somebody stumbled. It's just the way that human nature is. God's not like that. God is not waiting day and night to accuse you of the wrong that you've done. God is just, make no mistake. Amen? It's real quiet in here. God is perfectly just. There is no sin in him. He can't tolerate sin. God is so perfect and holy in every single way that when Moses asked, hey, God, I really just want to see what you look like, he's like, you can't handle it. It will consume you. You will be destroyed. You can see a little tiny glimpse of, of the glow that comes after when I pass by but I'm going to hide you in this cleft in a rock because otherwise it's going to be like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. You're going to melt, right? God's not waiting to accuse you. That's what Satan does. People will accuse you. Coworkers will accuse you. Family, friends, 
People are always waiting for all of us to make a mistake. And because we're so familiar with that dynamic, we oftentimes place that on God. Like that's part of how he is and who he is, and he's just not that way. Because he made a way, amen? Now, two things. Because of television and movies, and because of human imagination, Satan, the devil, who is accusing you day and night, I think a lot of, not a lot of times, all the time, we give him a bigger voice than he deserves. Right? When you hear Satan's voice in a movie, even in like, um, what's that, uh, the super book, we have our kids watch the super book sometimes, they make him sound real scary, like with this deep voice that sounds like multiple voices, you know what I mean, like, ooh, yeah, well, you know what, when I picture Satan, because, hold on, before I get there, God and Satan are not opposites, okay, and this is an easy one to forget, even though you might know it. Right? I feel like half of the college that I'm going through to be a better Christian leader is teaching me things that I already knew, but teaching me that I, like how to actually know them and make them stick. So I want to teach you something that you can actually know. God and Satan are not black and white. They're not light and dark. They're not yin and yang. Right? They're not opposites and equal. Does that make sense? Satan is a created being who is evil. But God is all-powerful. Satan is not even close. So don't give him this big, thunderous voice in your life when he's accusing you, when really he sounds like the, uh, the guy from InsuraCare and the Incredibles. Bob, who's going to take care of the stakeholders at InsuraCare? Who's going to keep them in the black, Bob? Don't give him this deep, booming voice in your life to accuse you with and say, you've messed up. How is God ever going to love you now? You're worthless. When really he sounds like he's like three foot four. Right? I mean, in the long run, one of my favorite Christian rap songs um, says, when he brings up your past, boy, bring up his future. We know who wins. He can accuse you all he wants. What matters is what happens in court. And I'm not guilty. You're not guilty. We are exonerated because of what Jesus has done. Satan is the accuser. Day and night, he doesn't take any breaks. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay, so the first thing is they're not opposites. God and Satan are not equal and opposite. You've got to get that out of your head. It's, they're, they're, not, they're not equal forces battling for you. One is really, while he can be scary, really actually powerless in the long run. The other is all-powerful for eternity. The second thing, because it says he accuses you, is that in a court case, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm really was not, because I can't be bothered. Like, if you're a person that likes to watch trials on TV, I don't, it's like golf for me. Like, I just can't, I can't watch it. But 
the prosecution, like everybody gets to do their opening statements, but the prosecution always goes first because they carry the burden of proof. Like they have to prove that you, that whoever is guilty. Okay, so the, whenever it gets to examinations, that part of a court case, and this is, if you've been to court, I never have. I just, you know, I got my little 12-month dismissal speeding ticket. But when, when this happens, when, when there's a court case with criminal matters involved, the prosecution goes first, always. So I want you to remember, the prosecution always goes first. The accuser always goes first. A lot of times you're going to hear him speak first. Take a deep breath, <gasps> right? Like, okay, the devil said something nasty to you. Your family member said something nasty to you. Your coworker said something nasty to you. Somebody said something that cut you deep. You've been accused. Take a deep breath. The defense is coming, right? It's going to get cross-examined, and we're going to figure out what's really going on here. The prosecution always goes first, though. It's almost like sometimes it's easier to hear sin, the devil, flesh, right? Like that, it's, it's almost easier to hear the negative than the positive sometimes. But you just need to, you've got to be patient. Let the, let the court case roll out. Because Bob from InsuraCare, or whatever his name is, it's, it's all going to get rolled up like a scroll, okay? Like, they're not equal and opposite, and the prosecution always goes first. Um, so, anyway, the criminal court basically is based on what's called the adversary system. And this is all my study this week, so buckle up. It's based on what's called the adversary system, which, like I said, basically means that the person accusing the, the prosecution has to, they carry that burden of proof. Like, they've got to be able to prove what they're saying. We can't just, I can't be like, Randy stole my car. Well, your car never left your driveway. Yeah, well, I said it did. Like, it, that doesn't, it's like it, it fizzles out before it starts. Does that make sense? So there has to be something to accuse of, essentially. And then there's opening statements. There's then the direct examinations, which is where the prosecution gets to bring in witnesses, but then the defense gets to examine those witnesses as well. And then the defense gets to bring in their witnesses, and the prosecution follows up, and then they have closing arguments, and then the jury makes a decision, or the judge makes a decision. So, because of that, we often get everything kind of mixed up in how our court case is really going. Because when we start our faith journey with Jesus, when we go hand in hand with Jesus, it's easy to get confused. And I want to give you an example of something today that maybe will help with that. We're going to put you on trial. We're going to put me on trial. You enter the courtroom, you kind of get to your spot settle in. It's quiet. You can hear the wood creaking. The judge comes in and sits down. The prosecution is there. But you're by yourself. They kind of do their opening stuff and the judge says, 
Is it true, defendant, that you've chosen to represent yourself? Yeah, it's true. Let the record show that the defendant is choosing to defend himself, herself. The prosecution comes in. He's about three foot six. It is the belief of the prosecution that the defendant is, was, and always will be guilty. The defendant has broken every law over and over since he knew they existed. I present before you today in the coming arguments that this person is guilty of lust, is guilty of hate. Is guilty of gossip. Is guilty of theft. Not just on the outside, but also in the heart. Which is a law that the court made and said was illegal. The prosecution believes it would be in the best interest of society at large and of this court if the defendant were not able to do so anymore or ever again. Now it's time for your opening statement because you're representing yourself. Um, I, I don't have a statement, Your Honor. I, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't know about all these laws, not all of them. Some of them I knew, and sometimes I... I guess I'm not really sure what's going on, so I'm not really sure what to say. The judge says, okay, let's move on to the first set of examinations. The prosecution brings up all kinds of witnesses from your past, girlfriends, boyfriends, people you used to run with. They show your bank accounts, your Netflix watch history. They present your computer as evidence all your conversations that you've had, all the people that you've hurt and, hurt and just broken and destroyed through your interactions in life. And it's all just mounting up, and it feels overwhelming. And the judge steps in for a moment and says, in light of these presented charges, are you sure? that you would like to continue to represent yourself? Or would you like us to appoint a public defender for you? Yes, yes, please, you say. Assign me someone to help me. The court adjourns momentarily, and you meet your defender. And in steps Jesus. And he says, you know, I know I'm just a public defender, but I stepped out of some really important court cases to come down here and to be here for this. Because to me, the people that can't afford it are the people that matter the most. I'm not somebody who just couldn't quite make it at a good law school. I went to the best. But here I am to defend you. Did you do it? Did you do it? And you kind of stutter and you don't know what to say. And yes, yes, I, I did I did do I did it all. 
but I didn't know. I mean, not fully. I kind of knew. I knew what my parents said about these laws, and I had a cousin once who spent a lot of time in church, and but I didn't know. And he says, it's, it's okay. It's all right. I still think we have a chance in this case. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes. Yes, yes, I do. You, I trust you. Okay. So you go back to court, and the cross-examination portion begins, and the judge says to your public defender, Jesus, what, would you like to cross-examine these witnesses that the prosecution has, has brought out? Do you have any cross-examination? Would you like to ask them any questions? Do you want to say anything about the evidences provided? No. The defense rests. What are you? He walks back and sits down. What are you? What are you doing? Do you trust me? Well, yeah, but it's kind of hard. What's the plan? Just don't worry about it. I can handle this. So the judge says, "Okay, defendant, do you have any witnesses to bring out? Do you have any evidence to present?" None, Your Honor. The defense rests. And they go to the closing statements. Because there's nothing for the prosecution to cross-examine. The prosecution walks out. The prosecution believes it is clear that the defendant is guilty as charged especially since they couldn't provide any counter evidence. Again, we'd like to reiterate that we believe it is in the best interest of the court and society at large if this defendant is put away for life and put on death row. He walks back, sits down. And the judge calls your defendant up to make his closing statement. And the defendant gets up. He stands there for a moment. Says, I did it. I did it all. Every last thing that was out, brought out today by the prosecution, I did it all. I'm guilty of it all. You can place all the blame on me. I agree to pay full charges, all the reparations, and I will even go on death row. I want to take all the blame and declare my client to be completely innocent. The defense rests. And the judge thinks, for a moment, and the prosecution blurts out, but your honor, surely you won't do this. The penalty is death. And Jesus whispers to you, I can handle it. And that prosecution, that devil gets back up and says, but you can't substitute. This isn't fair. And the judge stands up and slams his hands down and says, substitution has been part of this court since it was put into place. 
charge you with contempt. Get out of my courtroom. The judge sits back down as the prosecutor's hauled out. He sits there for a moment and he smiles at you. And he says, the defendant is declared not guilty. He is blameless as it pertains to sin and the breaking of laws, and he is perfect as it pertains to following the laws. He is not condemned. All charges are dropped. He slams his hammer down. If I had a hammer, a gavel, I would do it, but I don't. What I want you to know is that people will always be ready The devil will always be ready to prosecute you. It's just part of the way sin is. But your court case is done. You you have the best defendant that you could possibly have. All you have to do is trust him. All you have to do is let him come in and be your defense. Let him advocate for you. Let him mediate for you. Let him take care of it all because... He can handle it. And some of you, and I'm done. Some of you have been a Christian a long time. But you let this prosecution creep and creep and creep into a place where it you're letting him have a, va- a, a, a voice much deeper than it really is. And what you need to say is the same thing. I mean, you can plead the fifth, <laughs> for real. But what you need to say is you need to talk to my defendant. You need, to, you, need to, you need to talk to the one who's representing me here. I don't have to say anything to you. Because you don't. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we ask that today you would be present through the rest of this